She's playing squid games with my heart. It's Franny Choi. And they're your favorite student's favorite poet and your favorite teacher's best friend, Danette Smith. And you're listening to Verses, the poets confront the ideas that move them. That was me telling everybody that I am your favorite teacher. I heard. To be clear. <laughs> I, cool. I, I heard the humble brag. <laughs> sure. Making sure that that, was, that came across. I heard the humble brag. I liked it. Yes. <laughs> that I am an amazing educator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Nezzy. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's our last episode ever. Yeah. That's super weird. It's like the last day of high school, you know? You're like 17 and everything you've known is over now, you know? Although last day of high school, I was like, I, I was sort of like, Woof, okay, well, that was that, done. I feel like it's for me, it's like the last day of camp, the last day oh. of summer camp, you know? Yeah. Where it's like, you're really sad to see it all go, but you know that like the memories will stay with you forever and you've, you know, you've changed. And that you're a little bit more grown now, a little bit wiser. Yeah. You know? And maybe you like lost your virginity, you know? Somewhere in the process. Oh, oh. that magical oh. summer where you first got fingered. Oh, yeah. that's yeah, that's what verses is like. Yeah. Has been oh. like for us, of American poetry. Yeah, of uh. American poetry. Yeah. Well. Well, before we get too much further, we do have a guest on this last episode of Versus who's kind of been here all along. He's been Agatha all along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think we should introduce him. We thank him in every episode, but we're going to introduce him in the proper Versus way. So, Freddie, you want to start? Yes. He's a himbo with a brain, a.k.a. just a good dude. <laughs> He's the Anne Hathaway to our at-risk youth. <laughs> He's the man behind the curtain, which is way less creepy than it sounds. He's the star of a live-action remake of As Told by Ginger. And he's the most thoughtful golden retriever to ever ask you to get closer to your mic. It's Daniel Kisslinger. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Kisslinger, everybody. Oh, my God. Hey, y'all. Wait. Hey, Daniel, wait, I have three more. Can I please do that? Yeah, Denez, before we started recording, was was talking about how they had too many of these he's does. So, yeah, we'll we'll let you. you It's now or never. Like, you got to do it. Okay, cool. Thank you. Imagine we have three (laughs) more episodes. Okay, one. um, This white man works for us. Take that history. It's Daniel Kisslinger. Okay. That's really good. That's a okay, really so good one. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. And these two, these last two are kind of related. They're both about okay, podcasts. Okay. So one is he's the Tina Marie of the Versus podcast, Daniel Kisslinger. And this one, um, huh? Wait, who's who's Tina? Who's that? Tina Marie. Who's Tina Marie? The white girl who used to sing with Rick James. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> what esteemed company. Yes. And this one is because he also works on the hit podcast, Ergo. I said, he's the Scott Storch of POC podcasting. <laughs> Daniel Kisslinger. Wait, who's Scott? Who's that? Scott Storch is a, a, a white man who's made a lot of black music. He's made oh. a lot of songs that you were like, huh, did not think that was the man behind that. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, everyone. Nice to meet you, <laughs> listeners who have never heard my voice. Yes, oh, Daniel Kisslinger has been our shepherd through it all, um, making all of our 
long ass rambliness uh, coherent and possible for other people to listen to and understand. So um, we thought it would be only right if Daniel was here for our on mic on air for our very last episode um, mm-hmm. as as this team in this iteration of Versos. So hi, Daniel. Hello. I'm so glad now I get to ramble and then edit myself later. That's perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. How does it feel to come out from behind the curtain here? Well, I always think about, you know, like when you've only heard someone's name or you hear it in the credits over and over again, or sometimes like if you've only heard someone's voice on a show and then you see what they look like. I am mm-hmm. so curious and we will never know like who our listeners have been envisioning. <laughs> someone has a sense of what my voice is supposed to sound like and they're like mad at their podcast right now that this is what I sound like. <laughs> so sorry to them, but here I am. And it's it's great to get to kind of, um yeah, as we pack our trunks to leave summer camp, I'm glad to do it with you too. I hope all of our list, some of our listeners aren't having that disappointing feeling you get when like you're like fave like POC artist like brings their white partner to like the red carpet. (laughs) Like, damn. And they all have, no one can see it, but they all have the same haircut that I have right now. It's always like just a guy with like a kind of short haircut. Daniel is our supportive, silent white partner. (laughs) It's been been a pleasure. (laughs) Like I've been holding this purse for five years. What a a privilege to hold your two purses. <laughs> you hold him well, Daniel. You hold, you him. hold him well. You hold play him. your role. <laughs> well, I want to know, Daniel. How has it felt like? Because you're you're not unfamiliar with poetry, right? Ergo has poets on it all the time, and you're in community with poets outside of just this podcast. Yeah, but how has it been for you? What's your like as like sort of the silent partner, at least in like the like what people hear? Um, you're not silent with us. What has it been like to sort of sit through five seasons of all these different poetry conversations for you? And I guess how has your relationship with poetry maybe changed on the other side of it? Mm. I think mostly. It's kind of healed my relationship with poetry. This wasn't the first project that I'd done related to poetry, but I was kind of coming out of a period where a lot of those projects hadn't really gone well and collaborations had kind of fallen apart. And I was pretty much ready to step away from this world. And as someone who isn't a poet, I kind of felt like maybe there wasn't really room for me to exist within it. And so I think some of it has to do with the three of our relationship, but a lot of it has to do with getting to have a hand in in sharing all of these thoughts about it, but especially all these like readings of poems and getting to sit with those and hear those. Yeah, I think I have a much happier, friendlier relationship with poetry now, where I think I feel less excluded or on the outside of it, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, in addition to being like an audio wizard and a structure of the show and listening for segues wizard, I feel like one of the things that I've been so grateful for um, in terms of like what you bring to the show is like actually that outside ear of like somebody who is not a poet and so can listen for like what people who are maybe like a step or two outside of like the space that Denise and I occupy, like what they might get out of the show, like having being able to listen to that. And so like, I wonder if you like af- after five years of doing this, like what you think versus does for people who aren't poets. Well, I think the first answer is just what I like most about the show. I enjoy hearing smart people talk about things that are interesting to them, which is why we built the show together as we did. 
the fact that the people we've had on write good poems is almost incidental to what I enjoy most about the show. It like shows that they have a comfort with language and with play with language that I think as someone who spends a lot of time listening to people talk, a lot of people don't. And that's what I love listening to about the show. And I think that's what a lot of people love is yes, it's poets sometimes talking about poetry, but mostly it's people who like have fun with words getting to play for a while. Yeah. What's it been like working with us? Yeah, like, <laughs> How's your opinion of me changed? This is so funny. <laughs> what's, yeah, what's the best thing about me? <laughs> we Why like am jump, I great? We jumped to fast punch, but it's just all <laughs> validations. Um, best joke I've ever made. Best <laughs> outfit I've ever worn. <laughs> Wait, is that, are we actually asking Daniel this question? I can answer this no. question. <laughs> oh, I shit. like okay, this question. <laughs> I'm not going to say the best outfit you've ever worn. That's That seems subjective. But, you know, like I mentioned up top, I was coming into this feeling like I didn't have the relationships with the people making the types of art that felt like reciprocal and whole. And, you know, neither of you knew me coming into when we started this project, you know, over five years ago. But this has been, you know, one of the like healthiest and longest lasting collaborations that I've ever had. And, you know, we were very young when we started making this show. <laughs> Still are. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. But we're even younger. Yeah. Okay, and just yes. when I think about like what I knew about making things and about art and about, you know, working with people, like y'all have been the collaborators that I've like learned how to collaborate with in a lot of ways. So I'm I'm really grateful for that. And I'm going to flip it on you. I'm so curious. So this is a little behind the scenes, but like before we'd ever recorded an episode, like the first time the three of us met, I like drove to Ann Arbor and sat with the two of you for three hours or something. And we planned kind of what our pilot would be and got a feel for what the show would be. And I'm so curious what y'all's first impression of me was or like what what did you assume about me then that isn't true? Or like, I I've thought about this, to be perfectly honest, quite a lot of like, I was just some random person who showed up in your like apartment in Ann Arbor. Yeah, I guess <laughs> one of my first impressions was this man is very, has a very grounding and grounded presence. And like connected to that was this white man is confident. <laughs> 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 you know? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, hmm. Why is he so confident? It's a little sus. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's he got to be confident about? But then it turned out that, <laughs> but then it turned out that you had a lot to be confident about. <laughs> you know, like I think also like that grounding presence and that like confidence that the show is going to be okay and that we're doing something that is good or like meaningful or so, you know or that it's, something's working. Like I think I have so much anxiety constantly about that 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 you're sort of like that combination of like grounding presence and like a sort of like quiet assuredness just became like so <laughs> integral for me over the last few years like to not just like fall apart constantly and with like doubting myself and doubting you know us so like thank god <laughs> you know yeah. yeah i resonate with that i feel like it was like it didn't feel like like a confidence that like wanted to like rule in some ways, right? Like I think like I think it was like a very opposite energy. Like I think about the first like sort of pre-iteration of verses that happened before this trio was a thing when Pofo had reached out to me and was like, Do you want to have a podcast? And it was me and the producer and like some old or folks on the media team that are no longer there. 
And that first podcast, I mean, I think I've talked about it before here, but it sucked, y'all. Like, you know, like we recorded like, I think like five or six episodes that will never see the light of day because all of them are trash. I just didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I don't think there was anybody there to say, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, I think everybody thinks they can have a podcast until they have a podcast. <laughs> and then you realize like, oh shit, this shit's a lot harder than it looks like. And I don't know, Daniel, you were somebody that like, for me, like my first impression Maybe at like that meeting, I was like, okay, we had a good meeting, but I think it really started to become once we were recording and you were so good at like helping me and Franny realize our weak points and also our strong points. Um, it's not even an outsider view, I think, like, because you're definitely familiar with poetry, with poets, and just, but just having like somebody just like, you know, a lot of your job was to like sit like right outside of these conversations, right? But also like, I don't think people know that, like, you know, like, there were times that you were, like, interrupting to, like, make sure we didn't miss a point and all this other kind of stuff. And I think that really nurtured my own mind about, like, what types of curiosities to, like, allow on the show um, and how to have conversations. So, like, I think my first impression of you, like, doesn't matter because it matters what I think of you now and I think the world of you, right? You know, like, I, you know, like, it was just, like, and we used to spend some long weekends together, you know? So, like... The way we used to record folks was like we would, um, pre-COVID, we would kind of drop in into a city, Chicago, most of the time when we were recording in the early days. And we would just do like four episodes in like two or three days, you know? So we were just spending like a lot of FaceTime together in this little studio. And it was really like boot camp, I think, those first like two seasons, learning how to do this thing. And like, you know, I mean, shit, we we all like smelled each other and looked at each other some time. definitely days. smelled each other. We certainly <laughs> smelled each other. <laughs> yep, 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 yeah, yep. and that's what I think of you is like the like literal like time and energy and like um, everything we poured into this. That's my impression of you, mm -hmm. you know? And I love you, yeah. Also, I also, I will say that I think that my first impression of you was like very serious or like mm -hmm. kind of serious. Mm -hmm. And then it slowly became apparent that you're an absolute clown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, I was like, I have to be a professional. That was why I was like assured. It was like, I have to communicate assuredness here. And then... Well, there was a moment where y'all two realized y'all were a similar type of nerd, too. Right, like, just right, like, right, right. And I was just like... <laughs> right, yeah, like no, I we've just had like some good two-on-one pun. -on pun sessions yeah. Oh, here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, where yeah. eyes are, like, on the ceiling. And the Already. two just yeah, bouncing like, back and forth. <laughs> please go no further. <laughs> oh, can, can, can I share a pun that I came up with yesterday that I think yes. Freddie will love and Dinez won't yes. like? <laughs> what do you please. call it when someone, like, has, like, a thing for pasta? Um, I don't know what a fettuccine, a fettuccine, a fettuccine. Ah! Yeah, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Oh my god. But but yeah, I mean, what you just described of all that, like really penne envy. Sorry. <laughs> Excellent Sorry. work. <laughs> but what you, what you described about the dynamic and just the intensity of that collaborative time. My whole goal the whole time was not like, I know what I'm doing, but it was whatever y'all do is what it's going to be. Like the show is just what we make. So not, we know how to make the perfect show, but whatever we do make is good enough. And I think especially when people are making things in relation to an institution and they're just starting to build that craft, like if you haven't made a lot of that form before, there's this feeling of it has to sound like somebody else or it has to be up to a certain kind of abstract caliber that doesn't actually mean anything. Um, and so 
my whole goal was like what we know how to make and what we can make today is the show and that's good enough and that's what we've done all this time like there were a lot of things that we did that we didn't know what the fuck we were doing or we'd never done before and that was good enough and that's what the show was you know but daniel what you're describing is like really like how to be a good poet you know like and i think i've learned a lot about maybe not even just poem making but art making doing this shit right because of like how we have conversations you know we can come in with as much of a plan as we think. And we've seen like, you know, conversations just get away from us. And like, you know, the guest says something and we just go someplace that was unexpected, which is so much of like how a fucking poem happens, right? Like you go into it thinking it's gonna go one way. You and your little meager thoughts. I'm sorry, I'm so far away from the mic right now. What's going on? <laughs> um, See, you don't need me anymore. You were you yeah, had it down like, by now. I'm like, <laughs> I, I keep I've been trying to move forward for like three minutes, and it's just been a cord has been like unable to roll over. So I've been like humping the like, yeah, No, there was some I was like, wow, Dez is really in a mood right yeah, now. I was like, ah, I was like, I just want to be closer. Okay. <laughs> um, anyways, I don't know. I feel just like a more skillful, like interviewer question asker but also i feel like i i know i know so much more to trust the unpredictability of conversations and trust that there's mana somewhere in there right and like the getting lost of it i'm really appreciative of that and this show for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. well should we go to a couple examples of that of some Fuck of the, yeah. like, gems <laughs> yeah. and the, the the delicious nutrient that we found mm-hmm. <laughs> yes um we wanted to share with you all some of our favorite moments from the last five years, the last five seasons of Versus. Um, And it is really hard to pick them because there are so many and because there have been um, so many episodes. Um, But I guess we wanted to just start with one of our most special in-house reading moments um, of a poet reading uh, their own work. So, And I think that, Daniel, this was one that you chose, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I remember so many amazing like readings, and I love the intimacy of getting to be in the room with these poets sharing their work. Um, but there was something about this one in particular that, like, one, it's just a poem I love, but the way that uh, Ilya Kaminsky read We Lived Happily During the War really moved me. So here's Ilya from August of 2019 sharing that poem. We lived happily during the war. And when they bombed other people's houses, we protested, but not enough. We opposed them, but not enough. I was in my bed. Around my bed, America was fallen. Invisible house by invisible house by invisible house. I took a chair outside and watched the sun. In a six-month of a disastrous train, in a house of money, in a street of money, in a city of money, in a country of money, our great country of money, we, Pardivas, were happily during the war. Oof. I've wanted to give a post poem oof for so many years on this show. <laughs> I finally got to do it. <laughs> oh. uh, part of why I picked that is one, I just love it, but also in the most like generous reading of that poem, I kind of feel like in some ways that's what we've done. Like we've been doing this show over, I don't know if y'all have any sense. Some shit's been going on for the last five years. (laughs) (laughs) And not that any time isn't, you know, the world on fire, but it's been so great to have a place to live happily for an hour or so. Um, And we've heard from so many listeners that that's what the show's done. 
But like those weekends of us recording in that boot camp zone, there was just a lot of laughs and good food and creative thinking and getting to kind of do the the word dance together. So I think that's part of how I'm going to think about this time. Plus one to that all around. But also, you know, like the we lived happily during the war, like that's a that's like a complicated and like kind of thorny thing to say. And I think that it has been sometimes like the complication and the complexity of of doing what we do is something that I I feel like we haven't avoided here like we haven't strayed away from the weirdness and the complexity of doing this show during the war tm yeah it'd be weird if the real world didn't permeate into our show right i think like we've always had a particular kind of hesitancy to some things right because we make a like sort of evergreen podcast or like we were for a long time right like we we sometimes don't talk about the world because like the things we're recording come out like three months (laughs) after we're recording them. But I think especially during the pandemic, like that like broke down a lot. We've always made space for like the complication of the world, but I think like the complication of like time started to like bleed into this a lot more. And I think we've had to embrace, even with what our guests bring, I think sometimes, like we've talked to a lot of poets who don't feel like poets in the current moment, right? And yet we still make it somewhere with those conversations. And so, yeah, like we lived happily, we even like loved poetry in the midst of like feeling far from it sometimes, you know? And that's what I like, all the things that that poem can apply that yes, like the turmoils that exist outside and inside and yet still this like ability to have some even type of like small joy within that. And literally, like, forgive us for that, right? (laughs) I think we've, like, even embraced, like, that guilt, right? I think, like, you know, guilt has been a topic on this show a lot, too. The guilt of of success, the guilt of survivor's guilt, the guilt of so many things. And, like, what do you do with that? Which, by the way, as both a Korean and a former Catholic, oof, I eat that shit up. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That's breakfast right there. Yeah, that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But I think that I like what the poem does. It doesn't give us an answer, right? It like asks for forgiveness, but it doesn't seek an answer. And I think that's part of been what I think I've walked away from this podcast learning too, is that like sometimes in like deep conversation, you can't reach for that answer, right? Um, all you can do is kind of keep talking and maybe you get close to it. You circle to something, but the only kind of true answer is like to keep talking about it because mm-hmm. it keeps moving and changing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, speaking of the complications of time and things moving on, Denez, do you want to talk about um, your favorite moment with Cynthia? Yes, I do. Um, So this is from a fairly recent episode of ours um, with Cynthia Dewioka. One of my favorite things that happens on an episode happens where like there have been times where, of course, like we're interviewing writers that we like look up to or that we're close to. And I loved Cynthia's work, but I like didn't really know Cynthia like that. Mm-hmm. And I was in I was in love with her. By the end of this Which episode. I have to say, I just want to say I knew you would be. Yeah, you did. You clocked it. <laughs> like by the end of that conversation, I was just like, who is my friend? <laughs> We've made like a hundred podcasts and forty-five crushes for Denez on this show. Look, I feel like. Oh my God, so many crushes. Like so, so many. many crushes. So this so this um, but I think um one thing um when we like first said like, oh, let's go back on our favorite clips, I went into this episode looking um for something completely different. But this conversation happens towards the top of the clip where she's talking about her new book, um, Fire is Not a Country, being a 
lyrical family history that she was trying to pass down to her son. A question I asked was why that history that she passed down to her son had to be lyrical. And this is what she had to say. So why was it important to give him the lyric? Because history repeats itself. I think to me, it's kind of like an oxymoron, you know, like lyrical history, because the impulse of lyric is to build connections. I come from a country where centuries of our history were lost. Um, We had a very authoritarian um, dictatorship for many years that suppressed um, scholarship, um, banned writers, and like all of these things. So it's like there's this vacuum, there's just this gap. It's, it's filled with like propaganda instead. Part of the reason I was so obsessed with history was it's trying to find cause and effect. Like, why did these things happen? What are the consequences? Why we are where we are today as a quote unquote country or a people or like whatever. And I just felt like I couldn't make sense of the Indonesian part of me because we didn't have that. Like we didn't have like that narrative. So I obsessively like consumed other people's histories of themselves. You know, there are these really deep patterns that end up showing up again and again and again, regardless of like what the community is or power wants to replicate itself constantly. And I think the lyric, the invitation of the lyric, I should say, is kind of like put causation to this side. And like, let's look for new possible relationships, knowing that we carry all of the baggage and the injury and like whatever. I think that's one. And I think the second part is the lyric does not pretend to be objective. Hmm. It's private. It's idiosyncratic. It is partial and fallible by definition. This is the history that I am able to tell. These are the images that stuck with me, but it's like, I don't want him to think that like, this is the family history, because that would be replicating a certain kind of authority, I guess, that I I didn't necessarily want. And also, you know, then there's like the paradox, which is like, you are a writer, like, what the hell are you supposed to do? But like, write shit. (laughs) So it's like, like, okay, well, that's, that's the best that I can do. Like, I have to write it, because that's what I am. But I can, I can make it in a form that resists totality. We've had some really smart people on this show. So fucking smart, right? <laughs> and like one, I think like the reason I picked that is because I think it, it does like just alight me with so much from a craft way that like, and I feel like it's a charge, right? To say like, you have to write your work, your history, your whatever it is from your position, right? And I love what she says about like the lyric going away from um, totality, right? Going away from authority, right? But I love something too. She says something at the start of that clip, which is about the lyric being a thing that wants to communicate, right? The lyric is a, as a means of communication. And I think that is feels so free from, I think, a lot of the formulations of the lyric and the lyric eye that I've like heard in some of these more academic spaces about the lyric being this individual poetic voice, right? And I think I don't think she's denying the individual, right? Of saying like, this is what I could do, me as an individual, this is what I could make. But that feels so much more part of a community than an isolated thing of saying like, even if this is my voice, I have a voice because I want to speak to others. And to me, that has been so much of what Versus has been about, has been 
trying to move the audience closer to like the lyrics that move them to the poets who make that and trying to break down that border that tells people that poems aren't trying to reach to them, that poems aren't trying to call to them urgently. Because I think we are as poets, even if we don't know it sometimes. To me, like Cynthia's formulation of the lyric as like this individual voice and echoing and repetition within history that is calling out lovingly to folks and is not interested in its isolation, to me, is such a welcoming invitation into poetry, um, into writing poetry as well. That, um, yeah, that like I, I heard that and I was like, that's it. That's that's yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> we finally I, solved it, guys. <laughs> so, what, so we I, did it. what I love about that also, Denise, and like connecting this definition of the lyric to what we've been trying to do in verses is that I've also read, you know, in definitions of like, what the lyric is as like um, this kind of like triangulated address like this, um, a person speaking to another person that's like overheard by by other people, you know, like this like private sort of dialogue that's like eavesdropped upon by the reader or the listener. I, I both love the way that Cynthia is kind of pushing, as you say, against that and saying like, yeah, maybe it's like happening. It's like me and the beloved and like you're just kind of here. But like I'm also trying actually to reach the reader. Hmm. And that seems to just also be kind of what we're doing here, like having these like intimate conversations, but also in doing that, trying to reach other people through the like art of intentional eavesdropping, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I loved the way that she framed it as a way to communicate a history that challenges authority or doesn't claim authority. I thought that that also feels so consistent with what we've done. You know, if there's any show that doesn't claim objectivity, it's us. <laughs> like, we're like, this is us. This is who we're talking to. This is what we're talking about. This is our shit about it. Um, and I think there's so much value in that. Not just like, how do you always be fighting back against authority, but how do you, when it could be offered to you, say, no, thank you. Um, and I think as we've figured out how to step away from this show, I think that that kind of configuration has been a really big part of our decision-making too. When do we want to say, you know what, I actually don't think I want that access or that power, or I want someone else to have that opportunity that we've been so lucky to have to make the thing that they want to make from their positionality. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to say, okay, that's enough authority for me. Thank you. Thank you very I'm much. Full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like a very great opportunity that has turned into power. You can have it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ugh, that is like a whole other conversation. And um, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going with this. I started to feel worried about talking about our reasons for leaving. But I guess it's okay. I guess that's like we're leaving. what we're doing. We're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't want to be like, oh, look at how benevolent we are sharing our power, you know? But I think that, like, we've always hoped that verses would open up possibilities rather than, like, foreclose upon them, you know? Or, like, create a new little, a new little box, a new little castle. I think, you know, again, to bring it back to what Cynthia was saying, like, I, I really love and find a lot of hope in what she says about the lyric opening up possibilities besides just like the causation chains of history. I hope that us leaving the show is part of a larger and more dispersed opening overall, you know? 
I mean, I think so, you know, and I think like I'm excited to now get to see the poetry world through someone else's eyes in this next iteration, right? And like we've had five years of like curiosity about poetry from Denez and Franny, you know, know? and that's great, you know, but I think like um, I'm excited for these next folks to come on and ask for us, you know, Um, please dive into this poetry. And I think that's so beautiful. And I think also what it is, is like, I'm excited to pass this on to somebody who might not have had as many opportunities to sit at the feet of all these poets, you know? Right. Just as we were five years ago. Just as we were five years ago, right? You know? Um, And surely another five years of us doing this would, I'd be still in awe to like, you know, get to talk to other people that we get to talk to. But like, that was a really cool experience. And like, somebody else should get to have that much fun. Yeah, yeah. it's true, it's true. You know, and get paid for it. That's it. (laughs) Please get paid to like talk to the poets you want to talk to. What a dream. You know, I will also say that like sitting at the feet of the poets and like like soaking in their wisdom is like, you know, obviously like such an amazing thing about having gotten to do this. But perhaps I think equally amazing is sitting at the feet of like our like heroes and soaking in like their absolute ratchetry. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And with that, the moment that I wanted to bring into this space um, to remember um, was Marilyn Chin talking about an altercation that she got into years ago. I'm actually a really shy kind of a nerdy person, you know? I mean, really, I spent my 20s in a in a dark library reading weird Chinese poetry, you know? Yeah, but then you I mean, come out the library and you look at Ezra Pound in the eye and say, all these bitches is my sons. You did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a bunch of us, you know, a bunch of us wild women, uh, we worked in, a, in in this restaurant called Go 10, and we took the poor bus boy and we ravaged him <laughs> from head to toe. Yeah, I, I'll stop there. But, but I know. I, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I just I think we're all weird characters. I mean, I would love to have 10 husbands and and four wives, but I, I can't. I'm I'm too disorganized. I would be a wilder <laughs> bitch if I were more organized. You know, I can't organize my life. So I can't clean my house. My I've been, you know, my house is a total mess. But my poetry must be perfect. So there's these uh-huh. you know I mean? Yep. I have that edge. You don't want to mess with this motherfucker, you know. Uh I think I punched somebody during a reading. I uh, love poetry I, fight stories. Please continue. Yes. We, oh <laughs> my really punch somebody during a reading? What well, you know, <laughs> well, it was, I don't think, it was, it was, we went together at San Diego State, and I don't know, he was really drunk or something, but I had my hands around his throat, yes. and my, my students had to pull me off, and I, and he, and then he had his hands around my throat, but I realized his neck was really thin and it stopped me. I can't remember what that was all about. But, you know, everybody thinks he's really funny. I think I'm funnier than You yeah, choke stronger. <laughs> but in any case, we yelled 
epithets at each other. I said, yeah, I, I don't know what racial epithets. <laughs> I don't I forget what it was. It was terrible. It was a terrible thing. Um, on hindsight, it was funny. In hindsight, that's hilarious. I needed to know that at one point, Marilyn Chin had her hands around throat calling him a honky <laughs> that is necessary information just, yeah that's just good for the archive for to be I, don't think I, I don't think i called him a honky i can't remember what it was mm. I think cracker he, there's he not too many for them he, yeah. he said something like uh why don't you read slow book to china and i said something like why don't you sing old lang syne or something like that it was just it was ridiculous <laughs> I don't know what it was. He didn't call me a Chinese bitch or anything, but, he, you know, it was like we said just something really stupid to each other. <laughs> and then they had to pull me off. And that was, um, yeah, that was a weird incident. Yeah. But, you know, I, I have these moments. Um, but basically, I'm really sweet, kind, and compassionate. <laughs> If you can believe that. <laughs> I can. This is, rings true for me, too, because there are some selves that I can't be all the time that get to live in the poems instead, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. I don't know if he remembers that incident, but, uh, but you know, my students do. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So fucking funny. Oh, so, so great. funny. I also just, oh, my God. I, she, like, of course Marilyn Chin is really funny, but, like, you know that from her poems. But it's just like on a thousand when actually talking to her. Yeah. Yeah. That clip was 80% laughing. That- I wish I could have 10 husbands and four wives, but I can't because I'm too disorganized. <laughs> it's the funniest thing to me. So <laughs> like my house is a mess. I can't do it with all these husbands. <laughs> oh, oh my God. God. Oh, by the way, also, if you... um were not able to figure out what preeminent white male American poet's name was bleeped out in that episode. All we'll say is that we dropped a few hints. So just go back and listen to the episode. We bleeped it at Marilyn's request and she kind of went back and forth on it a little bit. But she was like, all right, you can leave the clues in. So all of my like versus podcast detectives, like listen through the whole episode. If you can't figure it out by the end, like do a closer reading because we make yeah. it very, very clear. <laughs> That's all we'll say on that. But it has been obviously like so great to talk to people that we know and love who are our peers or who are, you know, our mentees of ours, even, you know, folks that whose whose trajectories we're excited to be seeing, you know, far into the future. But also like there's been something so special about meeting our heroes that feel so far away from us like you know in the opposite direction like so have 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 come before and like laid the groundwork um for us to exist and for our communities to exist like Marilyn Chin like truly like I would not exist without her you know and to at once learn so much from them and also realize that they're fools, you know, <laughs> like in the best way, you know, that they're so wise and such fallible, funny, weird fools at the same time has just, I think, been really good for the soul and for making me feel like, yeah, I can be a full human as well. You know, like Carl Phillips is a full human. I can be a full human like Marilyn Chin and Naomi Shihab Nye are are silly. I can I can be all of myself. 
Yeah, it was something that as we interviewed more poets who were older than us or a generation ahead of us, I loved learning that part of what happens if you've been doing this work for a long time is you really stop giving a fuck. Yeah. Like really <laughs> deeply. Yeah. It's so rare to see people not give a fuck in public in a way that is joyous and not angry. That's just been so wonderful of like, oh, here are some examples of like, you can be a grown up like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've loved seeing that. I think we've also seen sort of the opposite sometimes, too, where I know there's been a couple of like uh, folks that who are like of this like generation above that have been like deeply silly, sort of like in like the before and after we record. But then the second we start recording, they switch into like something promo. a little bit more serious. But yeah, yeah, this is such a pro mode. And like even from that, I think I learned a lot about protecting which parts of yourself you want to offer, right? Like, I think we've seen the example maybe on the Marilyn Chin side where there's been like, like I'm at this place where like to protect myself is to just be myself wherever I go, you know, that there's nothing I have to apologize for, that you wanted this experience, this is what you get, and I'm not going to play into any type of idea of what you think I'm supposed to be like or what a poet is supposed to act and move like, um, which what are we but humans? And then there's been other folks, right, where I think like I see that sort of pro mode as a way of saying there are actually things in my life and about my personality that I kind of want to keep sacred and for me and not in these formats. And I think those interviews were still warm and they're still giving, but like it, that's been like a permission too to be like, oh, like you can both let it lay all out and you also can say, hey, that part is for me. You know, that part is for my intimates and not for this like public discourse setting. So I'm going to go ahead and tuck that back in here. Not because I don't want y'all to see it, but because that's mine. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And the other thing that I think I observed with folks who did that, or at least what I assumed was, especially when there's people who've been around for a minute, they've done a lot of interviews that weren't with the two of you. And so they kind of learned, like, this is what you do in an interview. And we're going like, no, wait, like, we're not here to dehumanize you. <laughs> like, we're here to learn from you and be in this with you. And I love the moments where someone would switch into pro mode at the beginning. And then 47 minutes in, they're giggling <laughs> and goofy. And we're making them tell us which, you know, how they like their potatoes. Like, that kind of, like, permission to say, hey, you don't have to be you know, the professor, you don't have to be the polished performer. Like we're here not because you're perfect. We're here because we care about what you've made and we want to be in the room with you. That's something that I feel like we've offered as a show that I don't imagine a lot of these like established poets have had that many opportunities to do. Um, they've been interviewed a lot, but they haven't been like given permission to be their full selves a lot in public. Real. Yeah, I mean, because it's like, yeah, the interviews can be like for lots of obvious reasons, like, you know, just another performance, like another thing where you're like on the spot. I mean, it, it's it's work um, and it takes like that work brain from you. And I think like when labor is happening, there's always the opportunity for it to become exploitative, you know, like while that's always going to be a dynamic in like something like an interview for public consumption like is there a way to do it where yes there's labor but there's also like a relationship building and where like everybody is actually being fed in the process of doing that work and care is the, at the root of the thing rather than like output you know and I don't know I think that's been something that I don't know if we've like accomplished but I think that it's something that we've been like 
it's been on our mind. We've been sort of like striving toward. Yeah. I remember in those early meetings, one of the things that we did in talking about what kind of interviewers do y'all want to be was we talked about like the worst type of interviews that you'd experienced on the other end. And so not just how do we not be that guy, but like what was it about that that felt so uh, draining or felt like it was taking so much or felt like there was no reciprocation? And how do we learn from from that experience, you know? Yeah, that was a really helpful exercise. And I, I also want to admit that um, I've had to constantly sort of push back against like my, if, on the interview side, just trying to be like, give us your answer, like give us your smartness, like make the smartness happen so that we can have a good show, you know? Um, that's something that I've had to like fight against actively. I feel like one thing that really helped us, honestly, like, you know, this is like a bit behind the scenes, but when we say like versus like we're post the confront the ideas that move them, that's literally because we asked them beforehand, right? Like what's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, before they even come on the show, like what are you thinking about and moving about? And I think, I sympathize with you of like struggling, like not to push poets to like sort of like, you know, to drain them for like our own gain. But I think the flip side of that is sometimes I know that's been just about like trying to like dig a little bit because I think like that's part of the blessing of like this process. Right. And what of like part of what makes us unique is that curiosity about literally like what is currently on folks mind. What's that like, you know, the project that is coming into the world that nobody's seen yet um and like and how do you feel about that yeah and i think like part of your pushing and i think part of the pushing we've had on the show has led to some beautiful moments because i feel like we've seen a lot of folks have like new thoughts on this show hmm. oh my you know? god they're like <laughs> okay sex is cool but have you ever had an interviewee come to a new thought in real time on your yeah, podcast? That's, <laughs> <laughs> like that's been invigorating, you know, just like watching folks be like, oh, like like figuring out a, a passion or a project or just like, you know, like like having to put the language together for the first time in a way. That's been so, yeah, just invigorating for me as an artist, you know, just to like see folks going through that. Well, and that also because like that's what it is to be in community with other artists, right? Like to be sharing your work together is to constantly be asking each other, like, what do you mean by that? Like, keep going. Like, you're doing something here. Like, maybe keep pushing. Like, go, you know, um, encouraging each other to like be our our most creative and inventive and like uh, empathetic selves is like that's what it means to like be poets who are like writing together and so like and what what it means to be in community with other artists is decidedly not like what do you have for me <laughs> you know like what's what's new stuff do you have that I can sell <laughs> like that's that's absolutely the opposite end of what it means to be in community well I'm glad we made a space for that I hope so I think we did Ugh, yeah we tried we tried we, we tried and like maybe you know maybe we can maybe you can do it better maybe other people can do it better but um yeah we tried our best um i have to pee yeah <laughs> so <laughs> i'm going to pee and okay. i'll okay. okay all right and then we're going to cool. pivot to games yeah, yeah. cool i'm going to pee too yeah, yeah that was perfect a little pee ah, pivot great. let's go amazing i'll be right back that's cool All 
righty, mother effers. Here we are for the very last time to play a oh few <laughs> a few games. I'm I'm getting misty. So we're gonna do a round robin style of our world famous game, um, famous amongst all forty of our listeners. Um, hey, fast po- uh-huh. we got more listeners than that. I think probably seventy five. Uh- <laughs> no, yeah, I remember there. hearing that at some point that we had a total of one million downloads and streams. We did have hope. Yes, we did. They just, it's just somebody with a very bad iPhone. It just keeps on, they, they keep on uh, <laughs> unprecedented pressing that just down. Just an iPhone but. 3. Yeah. We just have like a little, just a Thanks, small Grandma. amount of computers in Wyoming just running our numbers up. Thank you, Kanye, <laughs> for the idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what we're going to do, we're going to play Fast Punch. Um, I am going to ask Daniel five Fast Punch questions. Daniel's going to ask Franny five Fast Punch questions. Say that five times. I can't. Um... <laughs> Anyways, yes, me to Daniel, Daniel to Franny, Franny to me, goddammit. That's what the fuck I meant to say. Fast Punch Three Ways. Fast Punch Three Way. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Should I start with mine for Daniel? Yeah. Daniel, your first one. White people's best cultural export. Hmm. Not stolen. See, that's where it gets tricky. Right. I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, are there specific white American cultural phenomena like does that exist biker gangs is the closest i've come up with but i don't think that's gonna be my answer i'm gonna go not on this continent because i don't think that's i think it's too hard i feel like like white people had a hand in coming up with wool like there were some sheep and they were like (laughs) let's let's get to work here and it doesn't fuck up the animal too bad like sheep's need to be sheared but i feel like like it was like a some sort of Slovenian or like a Finnish guy who was like, let me spin this shit for a minute and let's see what happens. So okay. that's my answer. I'm going with wool. Okay, white people with the sheep collaboration. We got wool. Right, <laughs> <laughs> or should I say sheep appropriation? Oh, sh-appropriation. <laughs> sh-appropriation, if you will. <laughs> All right, Fred, are you ready for your first one? Yes. For the first like four seasons of the show, we got to record with an amazing snack cabinet near us. What is the best studio snack or beverage? I'm just going to go with the classics. String cheese. String cheese. Final answer. Okay, Denise. Best sex toy you own? Um, A vibrating butt plug mm. uh, that I enjoy very, very much. Former answer would have been this vibrating dildo I have, but I broke it. Have fun. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Vibrate no more. <laughs> nah, I killed him. <laughs> Vibrated him to death. All right. Daniel, versus specific question. Best time you've had editing an episode? Whose episode was it? Ooh, I loved editing Chris Abani's episode. I thought that the conversation that he brought around language and different forms of language and the limitations that English places on people's ability to think was so fascinating. Um, and he told some amazing stories. So Chris Abani's, I was just like, I felt like I got to be in the room with him telling those stories twice in a really cool way. All right, Francis. Another versus one. Best weird recording studio in another city that we recorded at. Oh, well, I think that the weirdest was the one where they were it was like in a house and it was in Detroit and it was totally sweltering. And also Denez was dying from an allergic reaction. (laughs) And also they were like, come take a tour of the basement. And we had to crawl under like a fallen TV in order to get into the basement. And I don't remember what was down there. I only remember the TV. And I 
also remember that I was so out of it and it was so hot. I was just so I was completely like out of my body that somebody asked me. We were, I was in Ann Arbor. We were in Detroit and the person asked where I lived and I said I live in Michigan. <laughs> just, I live in Michigan and he was like, okay, where in Michigan? <laughs> like, like no oh. more info. <laughs> So that was the weirdest, I think, and maybe in some ways the best, and also the worst. And the recording we did there like didn't work. Yeah, no. yeah. So we had to do it again. No. Yeah, it was all for naught. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was Tarfi of Izula take one. Oh, yeah. almost went into anaphylactic shock for naught. I did. Yeah, for nothing. For a very confusing non-dairy milk sign at a coffee shop. Yeah. Okay, Denez, Um, best live show that we did. I'm tempted to say the first one with Hanif and Angel. Just even like for like setting wise, it was something about that first one. I think maybe just because we were on a rooftop. And like it was fully fam in the audience. Yeah, it was just like fam in the audience. It was just love. I think they like the bar, that bar had made like a special cocktail, I think, for the show. And so that made all those little special touches made it something good. Yeah. Can we real quick just tell the story of the setup for that? Yeah. So there was another event right before us on this rooftop and they went like... 45 minutes over i do remember that so yeah. they ended like four minutes before our show was supposed to start and we had to do like a full changeover and that was actually to what i was saying earlier about like feeling like oh man there's room in this world that i can be part of we had to tap into like everyone we knew there to help set up the sound system oh, that's and, like, true <laughs> like angel and eve and everyone just was like putting up mics and running cables and because it was just me and Idalmi doing the tech stuff and then all of a sudden there were like 30 stagehands who also were like a who's who of contemporary American poetry. And it all worked. Everyone got to hear this great show. And that was what happened after that, like make it, you know, kind of felt like we like, you know, did a barn raising together and all of a sudden then we got to enjoy the show. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Daniel, um, best pun. Oh, that's so hard. I don't envy our guests having to do this all this season. I've just been chilling. Do you want a specific? I can make it like best like food related. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a best food related pun. I mean, I'm pretty thrilled with this fettuccine joke. I'm not okay. going to oh, okay, I feel really true. good about that. I, I know there are other ones. Do you know any presidential puns? No, but I, I used to call the George Washington Bridge in New York the George Washing Machine Bridge. I thought that's pretty cute. That's pretty cute. That is pretty that's cute. That's pretty cute. So yeah. I diffuse your question with some cuteness. There we go. <laughs> All right. Franny, best thing to order at a generic bar and grill type restaurant in a different city? Oh, man, that's a great question that I've had many occasion to <laughs> answer. The answer is certainly not salad, which I've learned the hard way. I think that I'm going to go with like either wings mm -hmm. or if it's lunch, the chicken sandwich and like a soup. Mm -hmm. of some kind like the soup of the day if it's a good one but generally speaking i feel like wings will always be at least pretty good and a bad wing isn't infuriating yeah a bad wing is just like okay that's fine it's it was still fried chicken you know mm -hmm. like yeah um okay denez best mm -hmm. thing to put on your skin in the wintertime is the answer not just Vaseline? Um, it could just be Vaseline. I think it's just Vaseline. You know, right. I think, yeah, Vaseline gets it going. All right, Daniel, podcast related, but not to verses. Best episode of Ergo for people to start at if they want to start listening. Ooh. Ooh. So for those who don't know, this is another show that I uh, produce and I also co-host based here in Chicago. I mean, 
We did a suite of episodes last summer in the midst of uprising around abolition that were really, really great, I think, as an entry point into the show and into abolition as a concept and a way of living. Um, so I'd start with the abolition suite and or the Angela Davis episode. All right, Franny, best thing you've ever left behind somewhere and not gotten back? My heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, probably the dog I lost in a breakup. That's probably Ooh. what it is. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking like on a bus, but that was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, also, uh, when I was in like maybe like a freshman in high school or something, I had like um like a little binder of CDs and I left it on a plane. It was like my my 10 favorite CDs at the time. It was devastating. I don't know if I've ever recovered from that. Um, yeah. Okay. Nezi, best song to come on at the gay club. Ooh, Into You by Ariana Grande. Great answer. Really strong answer. Yeah, yeah. the girls run from the bathroom on that one. <laughs> uh, it's true. I've definitely been pissing and hurt. Stampede. Oh, I'm you you have never peed so fast as when you hear, I'm so Oh, you're like, oh my God, I need to like, hurry up and be done. You're like zipping up as you're wearing It's like so great. Fuck washing hands. Uh, uh, oh, all right, Daniel, last question. Best living Chicagoan. So I feel like I can't be the authority on this. I'm not from here. I'm from the Bronx. Okay, so. best living New Yorker. Oh. Whoa. Oh, yes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I think it's a tie between Jadakiss and Larry David. Wow. Wow. Those are two strong and very different people. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like encapsulate quite perfectly the the oeuvre. Of a smelly New York street, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Amazing. Franny? Yes. Best plant to grow? Oh, my God. Um, well, I love my Monsteras, but I think that the number one top-notch thing is um, my scallions, because then I always have scallions. I'm rich right now in scallions <laughs> it's so amazing if there's one thing we need our listeners to know it's always have scallions on. always dinner. have scallions always have also scallions. do you find that the scallions you grow from your scallions are a little bit spicier actually no no great great follow-up hard-hitting journalism question yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah no but i think they they're definitely cuter yes okay you know okay, okay. Dan's final question daddiest guest <laughs> we've had on the show whoa <laughs> I'm going to give a top three. Okay. Love that. One, Chris Abadi. Shout out to him getting a double answer in this round. Chris Abadi, I think about you as a great mentor. On a purely erotic scale, I would let you stick your hand in my mouth. Okay. okay. Well, okay, I don't okay. mean that in a sexy way. I just mean like he has a presence that says, put your hand in my mouth. <laughs> like whatever I say isn't going to be as smart as what you said. Just yeah. clog this up. Um, two, Natalie Diaz. Just giving studsman energy. You know, Natalie Diaz can also stick a hand in my mouth. <laughs> and um, Carl Phillips. Oh, sure. Carl Phillips did not give the interview that I thought Carl Phillips was going to give. And I was like very elated and a little bit hot under the collar um, Mm -hmm. after the Carl Phillips interview. So, yeah, shout out to the three daddies of Versus. Wow. Those are really strong answers all around. Amazing. I think we won the game. We We won won the game. game. Oh, my God. I've never (laughs) won a game on Versus before. (laughs) No. What a moment. (laughs) Finally, we're winners. huge for me. We're we're going out on top. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. This is what our guests feel like. Lucky them. Oh, my God. Yeah, seriously. 
Yeah, this feels great. Are we going to play this other game? I think we owe it to the world to do at least one more this versus that. Ugh, the tried and true. The flagship. The OG game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we are going to now play this versus that. Um, we're going to do a special and different version of this versus that for this final episode with this team of us three. Um, we're going to do in this corner preeminent poet Dennis Smith <laughs> and in that corner um, resident Asian nerdy lesbian Franny Choi and preeminent uh, poet and preeminent poet Franny Choi thank you very much um, uh, and we're going to have us face off in a three round competition of this versus that so um, we'll announce the, the rounds as, as they come but yeah Daniel do you want to say what our first round of this versus that is for this Dinez versus Franny version. What an honor. <laughs> Absolutely. For this first round, who would win between Franny and Dinez in a one-on-one game of basketball? Hey, this is very clearly Dinez would win. Not because I'm good at basketball, though. Only because of, like, sheer, like, size and aggression. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because this is the thing. You would, you, would just, you would just run toward me, and I would go, ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be a very long game, though. It'd be a lot of, like, you running, <laughs> me blocking your shots just because I'm taller and can jump yeah. higher, but yeah. then, like, struggling to make a layup. And so... <laughs> Like, and there's like some <laughs> twisted ankles thrown yeah, in from like, time to time. Oh yeah. so like I would win, but it would not be in any particular like fashion or style. Vanessa <laughs> would win, but nobody wants to see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst one-on-one game ever, you know? It would like, not be good. It would no. not be good. Yeah. Yeah. I would demand perfect quiet and no <laughs> you know, like no interaction so that I can concentrate on trying to throw. And I'd ball. be like shit talking and elbowing you and you'd right. be like yeah, and yeah. you'd be like, that's not what basketball is. It's not archery. <laughs> not that I can do archery. But, <laughs> but you demand archery style conditions. I demand archery style conditions for my basketball games. Well, round one, Negroes. And let's move to round two. <laughs> Who would win between Franny and Dinez in a spelling bee? This one is obviously me. There's no question at all about this. This is just 100% me. Yeah, I misspell on the fucking entry form and get disqualified. So, like, they don't even... <laughs> like, 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 Freddie wins by fucking default. <laughs> Denez, you are one of the most brilliant people I've had the pleasure of knowing and one of the worst spellers. One of the worst spellers <laughs> in the world. I can't spell shit. I remember I was... We were listening... I was listening back to... um old episodes in prepping for this interview and I listened to one where we talked about for Kava's episode where our like intro question was like what are you the Kava of on Twitter and I like gave like a little self-deprecating answer and you said typos typos I have the Kava typos I have a new I'm, typo to share every day with people Kava of typos on Twitter oh, that's great <laughs> it's really really funny I just can't spell y'all luckily I'm a writer and so I just have to know what words make you feel not how they're made yeah, I just had like a complex growing up of like I must master this language in order to save my family and so I was I just like went very deeply into into making sure that I had all of the grammar and all of the spelling. I, on the other hand, I'm a copy editor's worst nightmare because neither of us know what I meant. So, 
<laughs> what did what did I mean? <laughs> right, like you've put here uh, a Burmuth. What is that? <laughs> There's an umlaut on this word. Is that intentional? <laughs> and you can just always say yes. That's the beauty of being a poet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one to one, we're headed into our final and perhaps most challenging battle. Who would win in our culminating this versus that between Franny and Denez in a Hunger Game? I've also never described it as a Hunger Game. I know, I <laughs> the Hunger Game is a countable noun. Yeah, one you know. Hunger Game, two Hunger Games. I did a few Hunger Games. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing, right? I have an advantage if I get a chance to get close in hand-to-hand combat. Right. But the thing about Hunger Games is that you're not just fighting the other players; you're fighting the environment. And so Franny is more likely just to survive like the night. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right like i or know how to nature. pitch a tent yes you know so Freddie has more survival skills and i feel like would do a better job like setting traps right yeah you know you might be a better long-range fighter than me too i guess so i mean i it's true that i have very good aim when it comes to playing zelda breath of the wild but do i have good aim with my physical form. Are you good at darts? I'm I'm okay at darts. I'm pretty good okay. at darts. And yeah. we already talked about your archery prowess just like 10 minutes ago. Right. Well, this again, aspirational, and it's more about the environment that I need to <laughs> work. Like asking an owl to shut up, please. <laughs> yeah, shh. I'm trying to kill my best friend. <laughs> I do think maybe in, in Hunger Games, the first movie or the first book, Fashion, maybe we would cheat death and then both try to kill ourselves and then cheat ooh, the system. Ooh. Well, but I think that the thing is, Nezi, that I think that you have just like a I will survive against the odds kind of like nature to you that like makes you incredibly scrappy in like whatever situation. And I think that I have that, but like no follow through. You know what I mean? Like, I think that I would be like, yeah, I'm going to set the traps. I'm going to do this. And then I would like try to climb a tree and like it just would not go well, you know? Hmm. So I think it would be all theory for me. But have you met me? Have you seen me try to reply to an email? (laughs) To be fair, you wouldn't have to reply to any emails in Hunger Games. Look. Put me in there, coach. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm winning, bitch. I don't tell you. My district's eating this year. I don't even know what to tell you. That. But you won't know where they're dropping the food off. God, no. <laughs> That's no. coordinated via email. <laughs> that coordination? No clue. Yeah, but no, I think that we would team up. I think we would team up. We would team up. We would team yeah. up. What the fuck are we talking about? This is so tricky. This, this will be our last episode. We're like stuck in some weird Hunger Games long and like <laughs> Yeah, just like super relevant and of the times. Like Yeah. <laughs> It wouldn't have been a good podcast six years ago, no. but it really isn't now. <laughs> wow, look at us. We started with Eve's apocalypse knapsack, and here we are. Oh, man. Here we are, trying Still to figure here. out the Hunger Games. Talking about YA books that came out seven years ago. <laughs> Still here. Still worried. Um, all right. Well, with that, should we do some thank yous and get on out of here? I oh believe we should. Oh, my God. That's so weird to think say oh i mean there's so much to be grateful for but i feel so grateful to have gotten to do this show for the last five years with like two of the best people ever and also 
to make a thing that we care about so deeply. And like, it's been, I don't know, I, I feel I feel very emotional right now, even though I know that it is the right thing for all of us. I will be very sad to not be doing this anymore. Yeah. Yeah, Nessie. Nessie. No, it's just, I'm just so grateful to y'all too for being just like a buoy in my life over these last five years. And I think about the like love and friendship that this has cultivated for us. Um, and I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful to all the poets who have like offered their time and energy and minds to this place. And I'm like proud of everything we've done. I'm so excited for these next folks. I'm not even sad. I'm just proud and I feel grateful. And yes, I'm, there's a there's a kind of sadness that is not depressing about walking away because I feel like we walked all the way. And I feel like any more walking would be wonderful extra. But I feel like, yeah, we did the thing. Yeah, I'm just really proud of us and excited that this door into poetry doesn't have to close for folks, that it goes on to somebody else and that we get to walk through somebody else's, you know, curiosity and lens for the next couple of years. But I just love y'all. And I'm going to miss this. I'm going <laughs> to miss. Y'all yeah. motherfuckers better call me on Friday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Thank y'all both for being so open for all these years to make a thing together. It's not, it's no small thing to be as like vulnerable and willing to try both on mic and off as I think we've we brought to each other this real like kindness and gentleness and willingness to try something. So thank you for being open to that and making this with me. And it's really not a given that anyone who makes this type of show gets to go out on their own terms. That like never gets to happen. <laughs> um, and so I'm so glad that we figured out a way to do that that feels good to us because there are so many, you know, just from learning from other people who make shows, so many horror stories of things that people have poured their hearts into being taken away from them. And I'm glad that we fought to do this the way that we wanted to from the beginning to the end. Is there a better gift than to be listened to? You know, I don't know. It It's like hard to think of one. It's hard to think of like a more joyful and gratitude making thing. Like Kava Akbar says, thank you for your time and attention. They are both unreplenishable resources yeah you know? mm. so thank you yeah and, and speaking of thank you i think yeah. we want to thank all of the poets who have come on this show by name eve ewing jose olivares fatima Ascar, casey rochato natalie diaz Erica Sanchez, Rach Jackson, Avery R. Young, the folks from Kuma Links, Krista Franklin, Tarfia Faisala, Hanif Abdurraqib, Jamal May, Brittany Blackrose Capri, Kaveh Akbar, Safiel Hello, Angel Nafis, Nate Marshall, Emily Jungman Yoon, H. Melt, Jacob Sines, Kamiko Han, Jonathan Mendoza, Kara Jackson, Jamila Woods, Paul Tran, Don Cher, Pat Frazier, Kamon Felix, Tasha, Daniel Borzutsky, Joshua Wien, Derek Harrell, Julian Randall, Amy Nizuka Matado, Halina Chanzar, Beth Ann Fennelly, 
Morgan Parker, Diana Coy Nguyen, Ilya Kaminsky, Eloisa Amesqua, Brenda Shaughnessy, Yin Yi, Kathy Park Hong, Wo Chen, Kathy Lin Che, Joseph Legaspi, Sarah Gambito, Xandria Phillips, Beza Ozer, Patricia Smith, Parnisha Jones, Toaster, Erica Foreman, Tara Betts, Chris Abani, Paige Lewis, and Cameron Awkward Rich. Michael Lee, John Murillo, Ariel Marie, Eric D. Matthews, Ross Gay, Carl Phillips, Randall Forden, Nandi Comer, Ludden Osman, Marilyn Chen, Araceliz Kirmai, Naomi Shihab Nye, Ada Limon, Eduardo C. Corral, Torin A. Greathouse, Monica Suck, Susie F. Garcia, Taylor Johnson, Tommy Pico, Carmen Jimenez Smith, Shira Ehrlichman, Destiny Birdsong, Cynthia Dewi Oka, Francine J. Harris, Aria Aber, Evie Shockley, George Abraham, Saray Jarrell Johnson, Douglas Kearney, Sarah Kay, and Rachel McKibbins. Thank y'all. You all uh-huh. made the show possible, and it's like been such an incredible honor to get to be in conversation with some of our favorite poets ever. We also want to thank Idalmi Noriega and Itzel Blancas at the Poetry Foundation. Hell yeah! I know you've heard that Woo! every single episode, but. Idelmi has been our partner since episode one and has been the champion and the steady force that has made this show possible and quite honestly has like kept us fed <laughs> and <Amen>. like <laughs> surviving through this time and has been such a compassionate and loving and fierce proponent and partner in this show. So thank you so much to you, Idelmi. Yeah, and Itzel has been uh, the behind-the-scenes warrior making so much of the show possible, including um, getting us to submit our invoices so that we can be fed. <laughs> so thank you, Itzel, for everything that you've done to make this to make this happen. Seriously, impl- applaud those two people, and they are part of the greatest gift that the next uh, producers and hosts of Verses are going to get is working with those two people right there. So thank yeah. you from the bottom of our hearts. Absolutely. I mean, we always say thank you to Daniel Kislinger, so we're going to say it again. Thank you, Daniel Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. Um, and also, I think that maybe we should say thank you to all everybody who applied um, for the host position um, and everybody who was part of making those decisions and sort through all of the incredible, amazing applications that we got. It's like such a huge honor to be on your lists of things that you might want to do. So thank you. Yeah. And honestly, y'all, we're still in the midst of picking as we record this and and it's so exciting because I don't know whose hands this thing is going to go into, but they will be good hands. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Literally don't know how we're going to pick, but oh my God, um, the future of this podcast, just as the future of poetry is in such, such incredible hands. And so tune back in next time with some slightly different voices, but with the same spirit um, of like, come on in, take your shoes off and let's talk about some poems as you've always found here. Yeah. And maybe we should also um, make sure to mention that in between the end of this last season of Verses and the next season of the new version of Verses um, is going to be our first sort of Verses Presents mini season, um, which is Roll Call, um, an audio exploration inquiry anthology extravaganza into the past present and future of black poetry and poetics um which we're so so excited uh, to share with you all 
And you never know, you might see me, Franny and Daniel, a little bit on the Versus Present stream now and then. You never know when we might pop in and say hi to you. So we're not all the way gone. Um, But our role over here is changing. But you know. Same versus time, same versus place. <laughs> <laughs> this will not be the last you hear from us. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about Roll Call and um, really excited to see how versus how, how it evolves and changes and grows um, in the future. Can I say well, one more thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you again for your thought and your care and your love and your dedication and your commitment to this project. I don't take it for granted. I'm so grateful for it. It's been a joy to become your friend, and it's been a joy to make this with you. Oh, studio. And the listeners like it. People like this show. People like this bullshit, right? That's pretty good. People like it. You guys, are you guys had fun, right? Yeah. 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 Did you Did you like our birthday party? (laughs) Did you have a good time? Did you have a good time at the parties? Was it good for you too? (laughs) Oh, it's a different kind of party. Someone had to take it there, and it was going to be Denise. Yeah, Yeah. as always. We're going down a hole, and of course, it's mine. Um, So maybe we should. (laughs) Okay. Maybe we should get out of here, y'all. Oh my! There's going to be no perfect ending. Thank y'all for five years of incredibleness. Um, to to my co-creators and also to y'all that they're listening. This would be nothing without y'all. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for writing. Thank you for creating. Thank you for listening. The next host, y'all better take care of our baby. (laughs) (laughs) All Um, right. Love y'all. Get home safe. Get home safe. Be well. Be safe at home if you're at home. (laughs) Make brave, power-destroying decisions. And good meals for yourself. (laughs) Eat your leftovers before they go bed. Yeah, definitely eat your leftovers before they go bad. Put your vegetables someplace in the fridge where you'll actually eat them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you smell poop, look on the bottom of your own shoes before you tell someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whoever smelt it, dealt it. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Questionable. You don't have to like the reading to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Get in the habit of saving your document every time you make a change to it. Mm-hmm. Pre-order books when you can. And to make sure that it takes a really long time to actually caramelize onions. Ooh, so. yeah. Leave Ooh. yourself enough time to caramelize. That's key. Yeah, yeah I like that one. I like let's that go, one. Let's go out on that. <laughs> All right, y'all. Love you. Bye. 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 Have I made it long enough to say... Or far enough to show Here I am a grinning girl Caught up in your glow And what is all your golden light for If not to sing about Just when I needed a moonbeam, look at what I found. And this is not the kind of love I'd ever thought I'd find. What's the word for falling into someone else's side? I don't even know 
I can be sure of. 